you know, we may have differences politically and stuff, but we're all Americans. And if we like riding motorcycles, we got way more in common than we don't. Perfect. <laughs> Good to How see you. Doing, I'm doing yeah. excellent. Yeah. So this is the EricSwanRacing.com podcast. I think it's number 45. Today I have John Casebeer. Uh, the owner and operator of Motul. And uh, we've been, we had a relationship now for, I think, over a year, and we've been selling some, uh, some slackers all over the world. Yeah, you got it. And thanks for the support, man. Yeah, no problem. I'm happy to help myself. So, um, so tell me a little bit about your background, your story. I want to hear from you and how you got into all this. Well, I grew up, uh, I'm a little bit older. I grew up, uh, I got my first bike, a dirt bike in like 1979, a little XR75. And then I got obsessed with motocross and all that, got into heavy into motocross and off-road in the 80s. And then was actually going to start road racing in the mid 80s, but uh, my dad pulled the plug. Uh, Gary, or, uh, David Bailey was one of my big heroes in the 80s and he ended up getting paralyzed in 86, that was the year I graduated from high school. And uh, my dad just, my parents didn't like it at all. So my dad pulled the plug financially. I was going to technical school for computer electronics. So I ended up just having to quit racing, which was kind of a hard pill to swallow. But uh, so I went in, you know, I started working in computer electronics, became a network engineer, started my own uh, IT business, all that stuff really wasn't on the bikes for about 26 years. And uh, in the meantime, played in punk bands, toured a lot. That was kind of what I replaced racing with was playing in bands. So I did that and then ran my companies. And uh, man, in 2012, I, I, in 2010, I just quit doing the music thing, just too many losers. And, and just, you know, I had to depend on too many other people that were flakes. So I quit doing that and I needed to get back in shape. So I started riding bikes again and, and that led me into uh, developing Slacker because I needed a tool to set my bike up. <laughs> and then here we are as, as the everything with my life, I've become obsessed with it and it becomes everything, you know? <laughs> well, that's how so, you get anywhere, right? You gotta be obsessed with it or at least have a healthy relationship to it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if any of my relationship with this is healthy, but obsessed, I would say, is a good word. Uh, that that would uh, make sense. So I've always got to have something uh, off the beaten path. I'm just not a, a nine to five kind of dude. I kind of do it all all day long. So this is actually really fit in well because it kind of took my technical side of my IT business with the fun and creative side of my bands and put it all together where I can actually make money and still have fun and not have to work with a bunch of stiff dicks, you know? <laughs> exactly, yeah, I know what you mean. It's much more fun in the in the motorcycle racing world. <laughs> Absolutely, being in power sports, motorsports, now you can do mountain bikes and all kinds of chained vehicles, yep. snowmobiles, ATVs. Very fun, and I'm getting ready to go into some uh, other areas, which should be, uh, you know, more work on the plate, but that's always good, man. It's better than sitting around wondering what the next move is. Yeah, so Motul, is it just you or there you have a team of people? No, it's just me. I'm actually in my apartment. This is, uh, I was in my brother's basement for three and a half years and then I just moved out. I've been in this apartment for a year. <laughs> 
So I'm still trying to get on my feet. I was actually doing really good last year. I got the V4 out and uh, sales were crazy all the way through November. And then I had that shipment that got lost in that, uh, that largest maritime uh, loss of cargo in history where they didn't lose the boat. So uh, that kind of kicked me hard. That's been a hard thing. That was, uh, you know all about it because the day I found out was the day we were supposed to do this three months ago <laughs> right yeah and that was a huge fiasco and that was all over the news it was a, a, sh a container ship lost i don't know the number hundreds of containers in a, in a yeah, yeah. 1800 of the 40 foot containers overboard wow <laughs> so do they do a dive uh dive search for that and re rescue all that stuff i mean it could be miles deep at that point in the ocean you know they don't they, it's really, uh, once it goes over, it's gone. They were like 1,500 miles northwest of Hawaii. So, uh, like, that stuff's just gone. I talked to a guy that, that sails that channel all the time that bought a slacker, and he said he'd keep an eye out for it. But really, they just advised the other ships to be prepared that there was a lot of 40-foot containers bobbing around out there that night, and wow. they should be advised. Otherwise, like, if my slacker washes up on shore and wherever in Russia and and there's some uh, like a environmental impact or something then then I'm responsible for that <laughs> okay <laughs> so yeah. it's a two-time so really has very I've found the boat has very little responsibilities in any of this if if things go wrong you're just kind of out of luck man. <laughs> man that's a tough situation it's uh hopefully you, you never have to go through that again no, I don't. I think the odds of it happening again are, are just almost nothing. But uh, I mean, I had a guy that ripped me off for 31 grand about uh, in 2017 and same deal, just about put me out of business. And I didn't think anything that bad could happen again. And this is way more money, way more money. <laughs> yeah. You know, I read a story of there was a contamination years and years ago in upper Michigan of uh, they thought it was mushrooms, I think, that were contaminated. So this guy yep. was churning out pizzas and had to waste sixty thousand dollars worth of pizzas. They called it wow. the Great Pizza Funeral, I think, uh, of whatever year it was. And yeah. uh, it's a massive loss. You, it's hard to come back from those kind of, of things. It's really brutal financially. Like uh, I'm making it, I'm going to survive. But usually, it's hard for me to get one order, you know, financially, because that comes out of my pocket. I don't have any big lines of credit. So now what I had to do was that order just disappeared. I was out of stock for two months and then had to buy another whole order to replace it. And now that I haven't found out, and I still don't know if I lost it. It's still like the boat's supposed to sail in a week and I don't know if I lost my cargo. So I just don't, I, it's just wild. So since I don't know if I lost it, I'm, I'm at the point where I need to place now another order. And so now I'm going to be out like three orders of money all stretched out at once instead of one and it's just brutal man i'm barely going to make the pinch i'll probably make it but uh man it's been a real challenge i never i mean the odds of something like that happening again hopefully are, are one in a bazillion but <laughs> right. at this point you know after this has happened that's really a, a a reality check man you know you cruise along everything's good happy days in america and all of a sudden you get kicked and you just have to realize it's a big world and Really, nobody owes you anything. It was a it was a bad weather event. Nobody screwed you, and you just you 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 will get screwed probably in the end. But you nobody did anything. You can't do anything about it. It's really uh, makes you feel small. And being a a part of a container load, 
tiny little company motel in a 800 square foot apartment when you're on a boat with Apple, you know, and, and Honda and guys like that. Like, I'm just feeling very small <laughs> and oh, humble. Yeah. And that, that perspective of, of it all. And so there's no insurance you can go after and claim for anything? You know, it's a long story. And uh, so there's a couple of scenarios. One of them, there's an old school maritime law called general average. And what happens is it was made so if a boat got into trouble and the, say the crew needed to throw all our stuff off the boat to save the crew's life for their safety, that they could do that. And then what would happen is anybody whose stuff didn't get thrown overboard, all those people then are gonna make those guys whole, not the boat, but the other people with cargo on the boat are all gonna put money together to pay for their lost cargo. Well, I don't know how that applies to this because literally the boat just encountered a parametric rolling and stuff flew off of it. They didn't throw anything off the deck to save their lives. I'm glad the crew was okay, you know? Yeah. But I don't know how it applies, but there's a, a possibility. I don't think they're going to do this, but there was a real possibility they would declare general average. Then what would happen is if my stuff survived, they would actually put a lien on my stuff and I would owe like 10 or 15 grand to get my stuff out to pay for the guys that lost theirs. But if you lost yours, it's like two years to go through that process. So your money's gone for two years. The other thing is then that the boat itself like is responsible to get your stuff there. I can do a claim against those guys. That's probably what's going to happen. I've got a company I'm working with right now, but in the uh, that's another year or two big lawsuit and investigation situation. The boat's still in Kobe, Japan. It's just not good. So the only way around that is insurance. The insurance once, and this is probably why they haven't told me my stuff is at the bottom of the ocean is because then I can't file a claim in any regard or an insurance company. Nobody can do anything until they say it's physically gone. So I'm just, uh, what happened is the guy that's booked these shipments for me for the last eight years, he didn't want to spend the extra, he wanted to save me 158 bucks and didn't get the insurance on it. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, so what would happen is once they said, hey, Johnny, your stuff's at the bottom of the Pacific, tough. At that point, I would go to my insurance and they would they would pay me and they would deal with all this disaster and Kobe, right? But instead, I'm I'm the guy that gets to deal with the disaster and Kobe. I I probably will maybe get two-thirds of the money in a couple of years. That's yeah. like probably the best case scenario. Now there's a small chance that my stuff is in one of the six stacks that's still on the boat, but they won't tell us what's in those stacks. So I don't know if it's in there or not. And it's just excruciating for three months to wait and then find out you lost all yeah. that money is just absurd. So I just had to go into full on rescue mode and I've been for three months full on rescue mode. I'm sleeping about three or four hours a night. I'm just building out the app, working on new products and just trying to keep my head, you know, stay focused on what I'm gonna be doing, assuming that I survive and that's the plan, you know, but. But honestly, it's it couldn't have gone any worse. It went from the, the business is better than ever, like literally in one day to, oh my God, I might just lose it all. And, and then all these hopes, maybe they'll find it next week, right? And I'm here three months later, still wondering if it got lost and all the worst best case scenarios have passed. And the last two scenarios are, I lost it and was out of stock for two months or I didn't lose it 
and was out of stock for two months. And that's where I'm at now. The last two out of like uh, hundreds of possibilities that your mind could run through, you know, at three in the morning, yeah. <laughs> of maybe what could really be happening with that boat. <laughs> it's yeah, you know, it's a brutal. big question mark. It's crazy. And um, man, they were just flying off the shelf. I think version two is when I got into it and uh, they were just selling like hotcakes. Yeah. Yeah, they've been good, man. I've, I've done real good with that tool. I had some resistance uh, from street guys originally, and then uh, some of the suspension tuners, I think they thought it would take away, because like motocross, people don't charge you to set your sag, and, and a lot of the street guys do, and that's fine, but I think they saw that as taking away money from them. But I sent one to uh, Tim Calhoun. He was running that, that group Speed Mom. I don't know if you know Tim at all. And uh, it was a distributor, street speed distributor. And uh, I sent one to him and he gave one to Dave Moss and asked him to check it out if he liked it. And Dave just absolutely loved it. <laughs> and so instantly I became great friends with Dave Moss. And now like he schools me on this stuff, loves the product and stuff. He still uses a tape measure himself and he's kind of awkward with Slacker, but he absolutely loves it and recommends it to all his guys because then they can make sure that their bike's balanced and stuff. And so even if you don't have a set number, like in motocross, uh, you know, like for me, if you go out and you spend all day throwing in springs and, and different oil levels and testing, right? And you get this sweet setup for button willow. And then you go away and you right hit some other tracks and you come back, like, you, wouldn't you at least want to start where you were? And I know a lot of people just put the same preload on the shock but man, at the rear axle, that could be 10, 15 millimeter difference, that quarter turn. Like it makes a big difference at the shock. That's a terrible place to take that measurement. So what I've found is actually the street guys actually really get it now and, and love it. And that's awesome to see. It took me a couple of years, but guys like you and Dave and like uh, Bobby Lou with Motorev in, in uh, Vegas have been awesome and they get the product and you guys understand it and like it. And so thank you. Cause like for me being out of the moto world, like a lot of the people, they just, I, it was hard to get the time of day. Even guys that said they could sell it, wouldn't sell it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, I think you reached out to me at first. You, you were, uh, you started following me on Instagram. I was like, let, let me yeah. look into this product. Let me look at this a little bit more. And yeah. uh I'm sure I was ribbing you on there. I liked your style. And I was like, this guy seems like he probably would understand the product, man. Yeah. And uh, it turned out to be a great relationship and it's still going. Yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah, yeah I hope I, to uh, going with ESR, man. It's probably a good thing you guys are online with all the, the COVID madness. Yeah. You know, if we had a storefront, we would not be surviving very well. Um, yeah. Because first of all, nobody's coming into stores very often. And, uh, you know, you just need su such a, a high volume of sales to, to justify that. So I'm out of my house. I'm in my basement right now, too, in the podcast area. And uh, I have seven rows of shelving that I started with. Uh, so I started selling all kinds of books, CDs, DVDs, old clothing, just things I had around the house. Um, yep. I, I morphed into doing consignment for friends and family and local businesses. And now I'm doing mostly drop shipping. So selling Motul suspension setup tools and all kinds of like driven racing parts and M4 performance exhaust uh, are some of my main brands that I sell. Moto D Racing, I just interviewed him. Um, cool. So all kinds of brands. My biggest problem right now is just getting everything online 
with accurate inventory the first time on the right marketplace. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's a it's a cool. big pain because you know, um, fortunately, brands like you yours are super simple because you only have a certain number of products. Um, other brands might have a thousand or you know even more than that. So it takes yeah. a while to get all the inventory syncing properly um, instead of just a yes no. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can relate. That's a lot of stuff to keep track of. An inventory is not fun. That's a, that's one thing I do not like is inventory. It's very <laughs> tedious. A lot of Excel spreadsheets, but I think the end goal could be very good. So I'm I'm still yeah. motivated. It's just uh, you gotta be patient. Yeah, no, that's that's good. That I mean, every business has a pain point. Like there's parts of this business I love and parts that are brutal even like the, the writing the software like i enjoy some of that but there's there's days where it's pulling teeth man you know and you just want you just don't want to do that at all that day <laughs> yeah or but something's not working you just gotta take a step back and say you can't just throw your hands up and walk away all the time you gotta you know get into it and figure out what the problem is you gotta start with a small thing if you're getting frustrated or whatever it is yeah, and I know from experience, the real world sucks. Like <laughs> working for somebody else and being there on their schedule and doing things their way, man, it just it just demoralizes me, man. It's just not, it works for a lot of people. I sometimes wish I could be that way, but it just doesn't. So you, you know, like, yeah, probably more I'm, of that style. And it's I'm, good that you can find something and work uh, doing, be involved in something that you love because like when you're young it's easy to think oh I could be the pro racer and only see that side of it and not understand all the other parts of the industry where you could be successful and actually have some longevity you know and have a business that'll go past uh, 28 years old you know sure exactly you know for me I'm still working a full-time job unfortunately for now yeah. uh, it's what I need to do to help grow my business uh, while I'm doing oh, the podcast and it's working. And uh, one day I do want to do my business full time. That That's the goal. Do that full time and race. But yeah, I've, I'm kind of happy in a way that I ran out of money with racing and I couldn't get sponsorship to work because uh, although I, I had 20 sponsors, as you know, it's not enough many times. Uh, yeah. Many of them are parts or services, which are very helpful or discounts, but they don't always write uh, $50,000 checks here and there. That's no. very rare to find that. So I'm happy that I'm out of it right now because it made me take a step back and actually build something, build a business that, you know, there's 10 year veteran pros all the time who are, who lose a sponsor and they're out, they're done because they don't have a business to back them up. They don't have something yeah. else, you and know, on the side. I see a lot of writers that really think, uh, in fact, I had this conversation with a guy that was basically like, well, you guys are nothing without us. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. What are you talking about? That's your main sponsor could drop you. No problem. They got thousands of other riders, you know, but vice versa, big deal. Like uh, it would hurt you bad, you know? And I, I don't, I think it's a two-way street for sure. Everybody brings something, but I think a lot of riders, uh, it's easy when you're young to think that you bring it more to the table than you are, not see it as a two-way thing. And uh, so it's it's good that you see that and that you're making some other deals because you could probably get back into racing on a level where you really enjoy it and there's not uh, the pressure of it making it be your money thing. That's like with, uh, for me, music was uh, that way. We never tried to get on a big label or do any of that stuff because we really were doing it because we enjoyed it and we never got into the pressure. So we got to just do it how we wanted to do it. So So there's some beauty in that. 
Yeah, for sure. I think uh, I definitely want to get back into it. No question there. But I think in maybe two or three years, I, I'll be able to do track days and, and racing again, at least at a regional national level. I don't know how uh, able I'll be able to fund a Moto America season yet, but uh, we'll see how the business progresses sure. in that time. You can have your logo on the bike, man. Write it off. <laughs> exactly. Yep. That's the idea. <laughs> yeah, I want to do. Uh, I want to do endurance racing. I want to do sp sprint racing. I want to do all of it. Nice. Yeah, you could be your own title sponsor, man. That that could be sweet. That's the That'd idea, you know. I, and then they can't um, they can't fire you if if you're paying for it. You have to ride. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, you get. I think that sounds like the ultimate deal. Is just you fork off and then bring it all back together, and then it'll be excellent. Then you'll have it all down, man. There you go. And so, <laughs> are you still uh, riding a lot? You said you're uh, you're in pretty into bikes and and dirt bikes and all that. Are you still doing that? I do. I don't get a ride much these days. I've uh, I get it. Well, a I live in Portland, Oregon right now, and the winters just like they're not conducive to motocross up here. <laughs> And uh, so that's kind of rough. I do get out and ride my mountain bike to get some exercise, but honestly, I'm kind of where you're at. I'm just 52 years old and I'm on the grind right now. If I've got another uh, product I'm working on getting out and hopefully in the next, hopefully next spring, I'm going to move back down to Southern Cal and then I'll be at all my tracks with all my people again. <laughs> and this has been, a, I'm not from Portland. I just moved up here to get help from my brother while I was getting this going. So I'm in a similar place that I'm just going to try to get this going and then get back to riding when I get down there. This summer, I should have some time and I got to do a bunch of testing. So it's going to force me to ride. But the last couple of years, it's been pretty much all like code and then dealing with major uh, international maritime disasters. And stuff. <laughs> it takes up a lot of time, I can imagine. It's brutal <laughs> on this business side. It's at a point now where it really takes, like, I go all the time. I, I mean, I don't, like, get up and desperately work 12 hours, but I definitely work 12 hours a day, and I go through the weekends because I'm trying to write. I'm actually rewriting that whole app in a new language, okay. which I'm real excited about, but it throws a couple hundred extra hours into my schedule, and I still got to ship and run everything and develop new products and do all the other things, you know? So it's a full-time job plus but uh, it's good. I don't have enough money to spend to pay anybody else to do things, you know, and that'll come hopefully in two years. I think I'll be at a place where I can actually start writing myself a paycheck and start getting some help. And it's, it's fully manageable until then, you know, it's uh, but until then I'm just really don't have much time or money to go riding unless it's like a business thing, unless it's like work. Right. Yeah. I understand that Great completely. Yeah, I just haven't had a reason to until I get uh, some more of the app done, and I'm waiting on my last samples of this product. In fact, I don't know. You may be. I don't know. This is something I developed for motocross, but I don't know if this is something like street dudes would be interested in. Like, uh, just because I know there's a lot more onboard electronics, you get a lot more feedback from the onboard uh, the ECU and all that stuff. But I I made this, uh, and it's a little. Uh, Quite hard to see, but it's a little uh, Bluetooth uh, hour meter. Okay. So it's just like an hour meter that you'd put on a dirt bike, and it'll tell you that it's gone 3.5 hours, right? Yeah. And uh, 
So it's not wireless. I don't like those ones because they go on the vibration of the frame. And I've seen them show up in the plastic with the hours on them okay. from vibrating in the shipping containers. Right, right. So I just don't think they're accurate. And the other thing is I, I, I have this actually, it'll work as a tack, which is normal, but it'll also actually count your total cycles. <clears throat> so really what's going to happen is whenever you get done riding, whenever you want to update like your notebook where you'd write down your hours and what maintenance you did, you're just going to hit the sync button. It's going to sync to your phone. And then that thing's going to run all the hours and tell you like when you need to do stuff. So when to change the air filter, oil, whatever, it's going to count those hours. And it's also going to tell you your total cycles for that period. So you can see how many cycles per hour, basically. And then over time, I'm going to develop an algorithm that'll start to be able to tell you that, you know, you're you're, you're heavy-handed, you're always on it or not, because there's different levels of how much you're in it, whether you're like you or a guy riding a scooter around or if yeah. it's a generator or a motorcycle, whatever. So I don't know if it's a product that'd be interesting to street guys. I'm going to just start with it in moto, but uh, it'll actually come up and just bump you and tell you, hey, you need to do this and that, and then you could just build all your own service intervals. Like, I want to check my fork oil, uh, and check my shot get it serviced every 22 hours like just yeah, you could have defaults in there or then you could change them if you wanted them more frequently or yeah that, I'm, that, I'm that seems very interesting because i think a lot of people myself included are not super mechanical um yep. and so they maybe forget about certain things or don't know the frequency of the change that they're supposed to do most riders have no idea they're supposed to even uh get new fork oil um, if they're racing, yeah. you know, or even every 10 years on a street bike, you should at least flush it out, get some new oil in there. It goes bad, just like your oil in your engine. Yep, for sure. And that's kind of where I started was wanting to be able to tell you when to service your suspension, obviously, because that's what I'm all about. <clears throat> but it led me to here. And I said, well, that's a perfect way because you can see all the hours on the bike and then just tell them. And even whether you want to do the service or a shop, who cares really if it just tells you hey knucklehead you need to get your valves checked man you know right and then call the dude or take it out to the shop and check him you know like i would check him i know a lot of guys that would just take it to the shop but and it'll basically be you can just add your own interval so if you just want to know every four hours of riding you could do that or if you want to you know you could just make it however you want i started out with uh, the manufacturer recommendations and all that but it, you know a lot of that stuff people not want. I figured I'd just make it all a cart. You can just add air filter every 40 hours from your manual mm -hmm. and then go for it, you know? So we'll see how it does, but I, I'm kind of interested to see if it's, uh, if there's anything like that in the street world that you get. I've never heard of anything like that. You know, there's a lot of uh, new electronics coming out with the new technology because now this is Bluetooth. So it goes to your phone, right? Yep, exactly. So it's a new product category this didn't really exist before yeah i don't think it does i wasn't able to get a patent because that similar ideas uh in cars you know with like the fancy mercedes all that there's similar things where that'll give certain data to the shop you know but nothing like this and then i'm gonna make it even if yamaha decides to do that on their bikes on their ecu i'm just still mine will work on anything with a spark plug man two stroke four stroke generator i don't care man your old go-kart <laughs> 1986 you know like you can stick that thing on there you're you're well pumped you know <laughs> like i want to just 
I just see like so many places that you could stick that thing on. It'd be nice to just go boom and have it tell you that, you know, so. Just need some attachments and you're good to go. Yeah, exactly. So we'll see. I, I was supposed to be, uh, I'm waiting on samples right now. I was supposed to be releasing that this fall, but I don't know. I don't think I'm going to be able to do it financially now. I think it's going to be next uh, spring or something, unless a miracle happens. But man, after the last year, I don't count on anything. I, if you've got still legs and arms in the morning, it's a good day. Yeah, know? yeah, for sure. <laughs> So no investors for you? You're just bootstrapping it uh, as you go? I am. I, I may end up on, on Shark Tank with this thing at some point. <clears throat> there's, a, there's potential there just to try to get access to other markets and into other places because it's taken me so long to figure this industry out, you know? Yeah. But uh, no, I've always gone away from it. I just, until it's really running and putting money in my pocket, I don't want to tell somebody else to put money in their pocket. And I don't like the pressure. And that would kind of go back to that. I'm a stubborn and independent individual. <laughs> and I just like, I'm not like a control freak, but when it comes to my life, yeah, I am. I like my stuff being my way. And I just, I like having the vision <clears throat> and saying this thing's going to do it this way. And if it's not doing anything today, then it's not doing anything today. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, there's times I where I thought I needed an investment for my business. Yeah. But at the same time, I probably would have gone out and bought some things I really didn't need. And, yep. you know, wasted a little bit of money here and there because I thought I needed this or that. And if you don't have the money, you find a way to make it without that, uh, you know, most yeah. of the time. So That's you, how I had to do it. And I've spent seven years, you know, you can see, man, I'm going to go. But I still, I was just starting to go, but I got kicked anyway. So an investor really would have dragged me down. It's better to, you know, the only one that I'm putting any risk out there is me and my money. And, you know, and that really puts more on me and I get up earlier and I sleep less and uh, it's a lot more stressful, but man, does it make this thing go? You know, it keeps it running. Even when the $31,000 goes out the window, it keeps running because you're, you want, you know, you're passionate about it and, and you don't have the investor to back you up with money or any of that. And I think that that brings uh, unnecessary pressure. You know, I think in a band, I would look at that as what I didn't want with having a big record label is that I just, I wouldn't want them to have a say in what my process was creatively, like in writing the music or how I presented it, you know? Yeah. You know, there so, seems like there could be a, a fairy tale situation where everything works out perfectly and it just helps sales. <laughs> but it seems like most of the time, it sounds like it doesn't work that way. Yeah, well, I can say like when I got ripped off, that guy stole that money from me a couple of years ago, three years ago. It, uh, I mean, $31,000, it's gone. I got a default judgment against him, but he disappeared. He spent all that money in his other lawsuits. And so I never saw the money best thing that ever happened to my business ever and I like hands down because what happened is the owner of the factory got a hold of me and said hey what happened to that Michael guy he never paid me and I got your product and I'm all oh thank god there's actually product at least yeah. <laughs> you know that's a start because that's like three hundred thousand dollars worth of stuff on the dock in China that to start I just don't have any money to pay for it because I sent it all to this Michael dude so <clears throat> He said, well, just send me 10 grand and I'll send you everything and then I'll give you six months to pay it. I said, great. 
well, now this guy does all my engineering. He did this black box. He's the guy that added the Bluetooth to the Slacker, dude. He's my right-hand man in China. And the dude's amazing. He delivered uh, my Slacker V4, the Bluetooth samples and black box in person to Portland, Oregon. Him and his wife and his kid that goes to school in uh, Nebraska. Super nice, amazing family. I know the guy, like, great. And he's got my back, just did that. Uh, like I would have died, I would have already been out of business because it would have taken six months to get these new slackers. He did them in two months for oh, me. Oh, wow. Expedited so, them. Yeah, so, and that's a big deal. This is like not some big uh, Foxconn factory. It's a small mom pop factory. And like, I work with them because I trust them and they treat their people good, you know? Yeah. So uh, he went to town and got all this stuff done for me. So it's the best thing that ever happened to me, honestly. And I think if I can survive this, it's going to be the same thing. I'll be bigger, better, stronger, and I'll know more and uh, I'll know what other things to look out for. You know, sometimes you just, you don't realize things are going to, you just don't realize that that little edge is going to get you on the inside of that turn until you hit that thing and it sends you, or you didn't even see it. And then all of a sudden you're, oh man, I didn't know that was there. <laughs> yep. And you know, your yard sailed at that point. So it's it's all learning and I'm I'm all about learning. I love learning new stuff. And uh, sometimes I don't, but typically I like learning and growing and, and getting better at things. So it'll make me better. I know it'll, it'll make me better at the business and probably a better person to just realize like uh, sit back and be grateful for what you got and just be humbled in the, the situation that, you know, you're not some big hot cock, you know, you're just some, a little tiny dude in a big world with a bunch of other people, man, you know, and yeah. when, the world, when the ocean swashes around, you get swashed with it, man. You're not uh, immune to any of that stuff. <laughs> right. You know, I was impressed. You, you have uh, your Motul advertised in the AMA magazines and all over the, the giveaway stuff. And I was like, this is awesome. Yeah, yeah, I try to get it out there. AMA has been, they're so easy to deal with. Like, they've been great with me. I don't have to throw a bunch of money out or anything. They just, uh, I just do my AMA business membership and I work with them and do what I can to help them. But generally they'll just uh, like get me in on those sweepstakes and stuff like that to help promote the product. And uh, they just, they really like it. My first, uh, I got a review from them in 2017 and I mean, all of a sudden my sales just went like this and I couldn't figure it out. And my friend, Jason Gerald that owns uh, Phoenix handlebars. Now he, uh, he's like, Hey man, look at this. And he sent me the review in the AMA magazine. And I was like, Oh, that's what it is. And that was the only time I got a review that I could go. That's what's causing the sales to go up or <laughs> down. a noticeable bump. Oh man. I, my sales doubled that month. Like, wow. it, it, like, for about two months, they went up by 30, 40%. It was crazy, just noticeable. So yeah, they've been really good. And I, I just tried it lately. I don't have much ads running because I, I had to pull all my ad campaigns down. And uh, I like even all my digital, everything. I pulled all my advertising down for two months and just had to just cut the lifeline and say, well, I don't know, because I don't know if I'm going to survive. And then I just turned back up some of my... Uh, my my Google AdWords stuff just to have a presence out there because a lot of my, you know, I got other people with my products competing with me on some of that, but I just had to cut it all off and say, screw it. And luckily, like people like you and all my dealers kept ordering stuff for two months, 
you know, when it was back ordered with no hope in sight, and everybody knew that my boat probably lost my crap in the ocean. And yeah. everybody still kept ordering and pre-ordering on the website. Customers would just order and say, yeah, I'll wait two months. And I was like, that's unbelievable. I'm I'm a spaz. If I order something, I want it yesterday, man. Oh, that's, yeah. And that's then, why I go to the local shop. I'm like, I need this now. <laughs> right. And then I was having some problems with my inventory. I couldn't turn it off. I couldn't. I kept having oh, orders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was, I kept feeling bad. I'd get that thing at like 1130 at night and I'd be like, oh, damn it, damn it. There's system. another one. <laughs> well, then I'd send you the email, well, do you think they want to wait or whatever? No, I felt bad. and But I felt bad because really it's me because I'm usually not out of stock. In fact, I, I have little burps here and there, but I had just conquered that. And December was going to be the first time where I didn't have one day without stock. Yeah. And that went and turned into two months. <laughs> so I felt bad because I didn't have the product for you. I'm like, damn it, man, that sucks, man. And like I was letting you down. So it's fine. It wasn't it wasn't bugging me like I was getting mad at you. I just was bummed. I couldn't like didn't have the product for you. Yeah, it was an issue with Amazon's uh, ordering system. I, I, I guess I pressed a button one day that said migrate your sales from U.S. to Canada. And when it did that, it took it oh. off of my inventory management hub and it just did it separately on Amazon. So um, oh. that was a mistake on my part, but yeah, I think that's all fixed now and uh, I can't wait that until we get platform, some more of them. Yeah. That platform can be brutal. And when you get in a pinch, man, it's hard to get a hold of somebody or somebody oh, that you can, can't. Yeah. <laughs> it's you, you just got to dig through that site. You'll eventually figure it out, but and when I, when I started on Amazon, like uh, in 2012 or 13, oh man, you had to, to put your product and you had to do an Excel spreadsheet and then save it as tab delimited and then upload it into there. And then it'd be, uh, yeah, no, no, nah, I didn't like something in there. <laughs> and yeah. you'd, be, oh, it. you'd have to do that like six times and then get it right. And then you'd save that, you know, on a backed up hard drive to make sure you had a template. So next time you could get it right. And then you add a product and be, uh oh, not this <laughs> man. It was it was grim. It's better for sure, but that platform is just such a jungle, man. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of have to use eBay and Amazon and these other platforms right now because ericswanracing.com doesn't have 30 million visitors a month yet, exactly. you know, so I go to where the people already are, but uh, I got burned yeah. one time on Amazon. I was selling uh, Amazon Mexico a lot in Canada and the yep. exchange rates weren't converting, so I... Um, I was selling them for a way different price than it should have been. Um, oh. it, not, it wasn't your product. It was another product. But uh, yeah, I caught that and I was like, oh, got to stop that one. Yeah. No worries. That, that, if it was mine, I'd get it anyway. That stuff happens. I just yeah. had a dude in, uh, in the UK that was, uh, I just had some listed because I didn't have a distributor over there. Like KTEX uh, distributing them over there now. But so I just had some on Amazon in the UK so I could sell a couple of people wanted them over there. So I listed them at 120 pounds, which was north of 159.99 our price here. Yeah. Well, over there, like uh, they also have that 20% back, which is built in there. So really the price, and I just worked this out with uh, KTEC is that it, it should be like 167 pounds about yeah. by the time that you get all that figured in there right so so i was selling these things well this other guy wanted to distribute and he saw hey there's this guy on ebay selling them for you know less than kate or less than uh, this other dealer there and i said all right and i went in and i looked i couldn't figure it out well 
he was going on Amazon and he listed them there and then he was buying them as gifts and then shipping them because I was, I was 47 pounds less. <laughs> yeah. And I'm all, what the hell is that? So I just put my price to 167.50 or whatever KTEX was. <laughs> <laughs> Fix the problem. <laughs> yeah, there's people do some weird stuff, but you got to do that stuff while you're growing. Like you just got to do what you got to do. I don't like, honestly, I hate Amazon. I don't like Amazon. I hope Bezos doesn't hear that because it'll crush me. <laughs> yeah. I don't really like it. I don't like that just that one company, instead of it being a thousand little companies where, where there's a thousand business owners and different people have different ideas and ethics and pay scales and, and you know, there's competition. It's just one pyramid of dudes. And I hate having to sell in there, but I have to, you know, it's just something I got to do to survive. If I didn't, I wouldn't. <laughs> you know, I definitely do find myself buying some things on Amazon because it's so yep. convenient, right? Because you know, yeah. you know, they have it. You don't have to leave your house and you get a free box that I get to ship my orders in. Um, yep. But yeah, I totally get the monopoly. They're killing small I, businesses. I it's it's a it's a it's a weird thing. And it's a similar thing to the Walmart thing where you like it's not necessarily a good thing that's happening that race to the bottom in price and wages and stuff but you still end up participating you know but yeah. but because you have to the reason people shop at walmart is they have to they if they could afford to go get a nice thing at wherever they wanted they would go wherever they wanted you know so it's just that uh, it's the way the system works unfortunately it's, and uh, uh but, yeah. I mean, there is just a, a matter of, that's the way the game works. I'm playing the game, so I got to have some product on there, but I don't tend to compete with people either. I don't, I'm not doing any of the seller fulfilled prime. I don't put stock into Amazon warehouses. I just do the minimum. And, and some of it's just so that I can make sure that you guys aren't like jacking the price down on me or something, you know, like yeah. that, that's part of my Amazon strategy. I just don't sell a lot of stuff on there anyway, but, uh, it gives, if it gives you an avenue to build your business to where you can then go on your own, then do it, man. Like, yeah, I no mean, I think there's you. definitely an opportunity there because not everybody's on there and it is a pain in the ass to use. So if you can wade through all the bullshit, you can actually, you know, sell some product on there. Yeah, there's a guy, uh, Vant Lever up in uh, Vancouver, Washington. That guy sells as much on Amazon of those slackers as, uh, as, uh, Rocky Mountain or Motorsport or any of the big dudes, he just knows how to work that system. He knows that platform. He's, I think he's like the biggest seller of uh, of fly racing gear, <laughs> like on Amazon, period. Oh, wow. And it's just this little shop across the river right here, Bent Weber <laughs> Motorsports, this guy, Jason. But he kills it on Amazon. So it's all what you got to do. And, and it's a it can be a great tool as long as you understand it for what it is and don't uh, just go all in like this is the way we do things. As long as you understand like the good and the evil of it and you just use what, you know, use it for your own good, then I think that that's, you know, what do you do these days? It's it's brutal. It's expensive. There's uh, These guys have a huge advantage over us. And I mean, the amount of gear like Amazon probably owns. 10 or $20 billion worth of just network equipment and servers, you know? Oh, it's amazing. The, the scale of everything. Um, they think they have like 800,000 employees. Yeah. That's a um, lot of people. Just imagine the payroll on 800,000 people. Yeah. And most of the, uh, 
work's been all done by computers and robots and stuff. A lot of the, the back end of that thing. So it would have way more employees if it didn't have, if it was 1985, it would be probably 3 million employees or something. Yeah. And at, I guess at the root, I'm just jealous because I would love to have the business that made me billi- a billionaire. But um, yeah, uh, what I'm trying to do right now is, is build ESR and, you know, I'm focusing on motorsports and racing parts because that's what I know and love. But, yep. you know, I want to also branch out and not only focus on those things. I mean, this is a few years down the road. Once I have everything on the on the plate right now done, I want to do snow sports. I want to do, you know, electronics, maybe like audio equipment or musical equipment, because yeah. I don't want to have a slow season. You know, you can get yeah. to a point where if I have these 10,000 items already online, why stop? You know, you just keep going, go into di- different brands, different product lines expand like amazon is they're getting into this and that and pharmacy and like everything so yeah no i agree and i think that once you have a good uh once you understand the platform the business and have a marketing plan and a, yeah, and you know what you're doing and you can get in and and like get some money out of some markets you know and you know what you're doing why wouldn't you apply that to other products you know yeah. like for me what i'm learning is product development, software development, manufacturing, you know, that's all real brutally slow and just tenuous process, you know, but it's just a, it's a different business model than that. But for you, it's about getting in, moving and shaking, having a lot of items and knowing how to move them, you know? So if you can do that with anything else, why wouldn't you do it? If you enjoy it, especially music, stuff like that, if, if I could do something in music, if I had a product idea, I would, I would do it for sure. Yeah. And um, I mean, I've, I've tried to streamline my process and I've created a, I think it's an 80 page manual now from start to finish on every single part, everything that I've written down, uh, how to create a listing, how to do it the right way for each platform, you know? So right now I have two, basically two full-time workers. I have one in India and one is a family member. Um, So You know, I was going to recommend to you, um, I'm not sure what tasks you could automate or you could delegate to someone else, but um, I've used a service called We Are VAs, um, and they're out of India, and you can hire someone that can do any task that requires a computer, that you don't have to physically be there. So, you know, I've I've detailed how to do everything, and he's just making new product listings all day. Um, Yeah. And so, you know, I still have to go through and sort of proofread what he's done. He's not quite there yet to do it fully autonomously. But uh, the goal is to be, you know, him just working on his own and making new listings all day. And that's what he does all day, you know. So it's just continuously up to 100 new listings per day. Um, nice. That's kind of cool, too, because it actually is making you have to make an actual uh you know, have an actual manual that says, here's how you do things. Like that's hard to do when you're small, but as you get bigger, you got to have that stuff. The employee hand manual, all that, that says how you do stuff, why you do it. So that's, that's good to have anyway, even if you went away from that model and had a dude in your new, you know, 40,000 square foot (laughs) warehouse, then you just hand him that book instead of that guy and he does it. So. Right. And, and you know, I used to have, uh, for a little while, I had a physical employee here who would help me ship orders and create listings, product listings here. But I found yeah. it's, it's like half the cost to pay someone in India versus 
physically yeah. in Michigan because you got to pay them taxes and all that. Um, yeah. So this is, you know, the, the way of the future. This is what big businesses like Ford and GM do. They hire from other countries because they don't have to pay taxes and pay yeah. them a lower wage. Yeah, and a lot of it for a startup guys, for guys like GM, it's just kind of greed. It's kind of dickish for a small business. It's just life. There's it's no like, other way I could do uh, it. Survival. Yeah, right. you just, you know, that's when I started, I got some pushback about manufacturing in Asia. And, you know, now it's ridiculous. The guy that makes my stuff is like a friend of mine. It's such a ridiculous argument. But <laughs> I used to just get under my skin because the Americans just didn't want to do the work, man. They wouldn't take it on unless I would commit to $500,000 a year worth of business or they just said they didn't want to take a risk. You know, and I got a bunch of that crap and people would talk smack on their iPhone about getting something manufactured <laughs> in China. And I said, listen, and I had this conversation with my ex-girlfriend who was uh, looking at getting her bags made in Asia as opposed to, to here. And I said, are you trying to get things manufactured in America or are you trying to build a business? Which, what are you trying to do? I'm trying to build a business. Okay, well then throw that other crap out. Here's the conversation. This is the price you're going to get. We got to look at these things. These are the sources. You know, we're not even going to discuss this manufacturing and in America thing because it's not the point. If that's your point, the business won't survive. Your cost for a slacker would be like $237 or something, you know, because it would have been outrageously expensive. And they wanted me to buy more product than, than I sell retail in a year. I don't even touch $500,000. Yeah. And they would want me to buy that much at my cost. That would, yeah. you know, be a ton of slackers, man. So it's unbelievable. But, but as a small business, you got to do that. And as you get bigger, then you can start having more ethics about some of that things and say, I'm just not going to support that. Or I don't like that Facebook thing or whatever. Then you can start doing that. But until you get there, man, do what you got to do to survive. Unless it involves like screwing over an old lady or something bad. <laughs> That you're not going to be able to deal with you know yeah. but generally otherwise using some of these things that's not a bad a bad thing at all i just think some of those big businesses just that uh, they run from taxes and everything no matter what and it, even though they could fully afford it you know those guys have way too much money at the top man <laughs> sure you know there'd just be no way i can afford a full-time worker um oh. you know, 80 40 hours a week it's just not possible plus plus taxes no Maybe one day you could. Not now anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And you'll do it. You'll do the right thing when you get there. But for now, you just got to keep the blinders on and just ignore some of that crap and just keep on those platforms and keep selling and build it. And then when you can make those moves and not hurt your business, then make them. And until then, do what you got to do to keep this thing ticking, man. Yeah. And this has been a great marketing exercise, you know, posting these all the time. And I post yep. these to Instagram TV. I post them to YouTube, it goes to Anchor, and then from Anchor is an audio platform that'll use uh, Apple Podcasts, so iTunes, it's on iTunes, Spotify, I think maybe Pandora, um, Stitcher, maybe Discord, it's on a bunch of different audio platforms, which is pretty cool to be on there, yeah. um, and just trying to network with people, you never know what, who you'll talk to or what you'll learn, and just like you talking to your new manufacturing partner, uh, maybe yeah. I'll get a ride or something or I'll get a new vendor or maybe some sales from doing this. 
Yeah, you got it. No, there's no doubt. And you obviously put in a lot of work and that's what it takes. That's not the only thing it takes. Obviously you have to have skill and good ideas and some other things, but, uh, but the hard work is key because you could, it, without that, you'll get nowhere, man. You know, you got to get, get out and get your word in all those places, get the audio podcasts out and get your fingers in all those cracks and, and bug all those people. Otherwise <laughs> uh, it gets quiet and you can actually get a lot of earned media that way where you don't have to spend money. Cause you, I mean, I could get the word out pretty quick about my products, but man, is it expensive. You could spend a hundred grand a year in advertising and people would hardly even notice your ad was in a couple magazines. Like it's brutal. Those yeah. Big so trying crazy. to create some sort of, uh, you know, a voice that I can, I can say things and people listen yep. would be nice. Uh, I don't know and if people are listening now, but yeah, I think it's good. And they get to know a little bit more about the industry and what's going on. Like that boats get thrashed and things sink to the bottom of the ocean and people at there's consequences for that. You know, I think that that's all real interesting stuff that you don't see on the surface, you know, when you're at a Moto America race or something, those, all that back into the industry, that's, like real interesting to me, I know. I would assume that it would be for other people too. Like fans, I think would really be interested to know some of the back end stuff. So yeah, just talking to racers. You know, I talked to Brandon Cretu, and I was just posting that one right before I walked over here. Um, he's an Ovali uh, bike manu, not a manufacturer, but he's a distributor for the U.S. And so oh, yeah. those are min the mini bikes that they're using for Moto America. Those cups, he's uh, selling those bikes in the in the states now. So um i'm happy to to talk with people like that and promote the sport i you know when i was really young i can't even remember the brand that it was but there was some off-brand chinese mini bike uh it was it was blue i could um it was probably a pocket bike at the time but my mom said oh you're not buying that they never wanted me to have a bike and uh i never bought it i never got a mini bike but if there was maybe an ovali maybe it would have been different yeah yeah exactly man so. No, that's pretty cool. Yeah, those are cool. What was another? I got a friend up here that's doing a, oh, I can't remember the bikes. They're a little, a little uh, flat track bike that's new. It's kind of a little kit bike that's really cool. It reminds me of that, it's that, that type of a deal. Man, those things are cool. They're such rad little bikes. Yeah, it's good training. It's, uh, it's cheap, low, uh, low cost of entry. And if you fall over, you're not going to spend a ton of money and you're probably not going to get hurt anyway. Yeah. Oh, the other one I saw I liked was that they brought back that little Honda monkey. <laughs> that thing is cool, man. I, that'd be a great little pit bike. Man. I don't know. I like it. I'm, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, so I like stuff like that. It brings me back to, like, the old school pre-internet, pre-pager, and all this uh, technology stuff where you could actually just enjoy your motorcycle and tune the world out. <laughs> yeah, I think that's why I first started living riding motorcycles is because you could just get away no radio no phone um yeah and you're all focused man just you yeah, never if, know if the world disappeared man <laughs> it's really like a meditation because if you look away for too long you, you might die right you, you have to stay focused in a certain point of view yeah yeah i agree no it's it's a good thing that way and you just that's the only thing at hand you're not thinking about your girlfriend or your rent or, or anything like you might be thinking about your bike setup or something but that's about it you know it's all about right what you're doing right then it's all highly focused thought at that point point. <laughs> and now when when i was always riding i 
mess with my suspension very little. This is yep. something that when I get back into racing, I'm really excited about because um, I think maybe a couple rounds, maybe five or six rounds, I actually tuned my suspension, but every other round, I just set it and forget it. I didn't even turn a dial. So yeah. I was able to achieve a lot of podiums and a lot of wins and yeah, novice yeah. and expert with riding the bike as it was. You know, the first time I bought my bike, my, it was a, a 09 600, the Kawasaki. And uh, man, it, it was set up for like a 220 pound rider. And I'm over here, 160 <laughs> in leathers. And yeah. I didn't adjust it, but I think I did well on that bike because it was really stiff. And once you ride fast, you want it to be stiff. Um, yep. And maybe it helped me out having it uh, set up that way. It could be. So once you got faster, you were, the bike was set up better. I, I could see that for sure. Yeah, where you didn't start out soft and always be maxing the bike out when you're trying to get better. Right. Yeah. So uh, I think there's a lot of uh, a time for me to find in suspension travel and tuning alone, maybe even some sag. Uh, I remember there was, one, there was one round I went to in Pittsburgh that I dropped, I think, a second and a half from just a couple of tweaks here and there. And I was like, this is amazing. That was the first time you touched it. Like, <laughs> do, do more, do it again. <laughs> oh, in the 80s, man, I used to race uh, like CR250s and CR500s. I mean, I never touched hardly a clicker. I mean, there was no sag. Nobody measured sag. If you want a better suspension, you buy Olings, you know? <laughs> it was a whole different deal. So I'm the same way. It wasn't something that we used to do then, you know? But I worked with a guy, uh, this guy, Garrett uh, Pouchet. He's, he's got a big off-road team that does Baja now and stuff. <clears throat> but I met him at Milestone uh, Motocross in Riverside, California one day. He's friends with a friend of mine. And he, we were racing that day, and he won the 40-plus novice by, like, that's my class. He just cleaned us out. Like, he was so much faster. It was unbelievable. And then we were shooting the shit between the races, and he was asking me about the tool and I told him what it was. He goes, man, I've never even done that. <laughs> so we got him on his bike and sat him on there. He was at 128 millimeters. Yeah. Like that dirt bike, you should be about 105, you know? So I, I was like, <laughs> oh no, no, dude, this thing you need, it's like a chopper. You need eight painters on this thing, man. You, this <laughs> thing will never turn. So we adjusted it up and we got him at 105 and he went out. He was, this is a 40 plus novice, right? He was seven seconds a lap faster. The wow. He came in, his eyes were this big. He was like, man, it's like <laughs> I got brand new tires on it. I just, I just laid over and it just turns now. And I'm like, yeah, because it's not like choppered out, dude. And he's, he was blown away. He's like religious. They like, he won't even like let me give him slackers for that team. He gets on the site and orders them. Wow, that's time. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, he'll order like five at a time and be all, nope, I'm paying, man. And I'm all. All right, because he knows the valuable tool, you know. So, yeah, it's it's something. It's like anything, man. When you're searching for little things, man, it's you got to look everywhere, man. It's in your diet, your boot, your thing, <laughs> the throttle control, the traction. It's somewhere. There's all you know. You gotta you gotta scan all that stuff all the time. Make sure that you're doing your best at all of it. Yeah, not leaving things out, you know. So I think that it's a uh, a key for anybody and even just a dude that puts around on the street knowing that your bike's set up and balanced or if you throw a passenger if you go two up 
Like you should make an adjustment. You just made your bike really dangerous. Now it's all raked out. You're going to go into a turn and expect it to turn like it normally does. And you're just going to go straight off the outside. You're going to go right off the turn. You're yeah, not, even... not only is it slower, but it's also dangerous. It won't turn now. The front ends up, it's got less weight on it and it's raked out like this. So you're just, you're just going to turn the wheel and going to keep going on the turn. So I just think that it's something even for your general dude and, and to pay attention. Like for me, if I take a measurement and I say I get on my bike and I measure and I adjust it, and I'm at 106 millimeters. I step off. I always look at that static sag. Mine's usually around 38. I know that because the, the spring weight that I run, that's where I should end up. If that's like 45 or 32 all of a sudden, something's wrong, man. So even though my sag looked good, like if a guy had a tape measure, that's all we would have seen, right? You wouldn't take the time to then measure the static sag. Nobody would. I would never would unless it was a new bike and I needed to know what spring I needed. I would never do that. But I just step off, look at that display, and I know right then, bam, I got a problem, man. Something's wrong. I got a bunch of, probably just need to grease the linkage or the uh, service, the shock. Maybe the, maybe the, you know, who knows? It, it something got bent, tweaked, the shims or valving in the shock are bad or the, you know, there's a million things, but really let you know instantly, see something's changed here. Even though that that root number is good, this other one's different now. So we should take a look at it. So just, just interacting with things like that, it, then you know how they should be and you know when they're not right and you can catch that stuff. I think that's, that's as big as anything, you know? Oh yeah. And, and the first time I ever serviced my suspension, not even like for tune for any specific tuning, just for a basic bike setup, um, yep. a baseline. Um, it was night and day. I might, I might've been an intermediate or novice track days. It was right when I was starting and it was like the next thing to do before I upgraded any real parts. Uh, and that was recommended to me, Oh, go over to the suspension guy, Ken Hall, who's now the motor America suspension guy. Oh, and, yeah. uh, Nice. And, and tune it up and it was like oh my goodness i didn't i wasn't running a lap timer back then so i don't know what the time difference was but it felt like it was many many seconds difference yeah and yeah, the and comfort you can, tell, you can tell right away you can feel that stuff man no so that for anybody good. for for any track day rider if even if you're not racing that's one of the first things i would do i would always say suspension tires and brakes are your most important things yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then it, if you can get some more horsepower, whatever, but generally I see people put a bunch of money into their motor and not paying any attention to the suspension. They're just making a death trap, man. You know, I mean, let's make this thing really high performance, but not address the handling of the chassis. Let's not address the chassis at all. Let's just stick a bunch of more horsepower in this thing and twist it, you know, yeah. <laughs> like drag racing. That's probably a great plan. But I don't think that's a great plan, honestly, on, on you know, road racing where everything is so, you got to be so precise at everything. You well, know? People it's think the, like, oh, let me just throw more money at it. I mean, make me go faster. Exactly. <laughs> or they'll just put a bunch of, uh, you know, anodized aluminum stuff on it and think it looks cool. Like when I get a new bike, I'm an off-road dude. When I get a new bike, I, I, I will change like my shifter because I got big feet and I like a longer shifter. And then I, I'll probably change the bars, adjust my controls, and that's it. And then, but I don't even ride the stock suspension. I probably should get the time. I should probably wear it out and then get it built and not be like wasteful. 
but I don't, when I get a new bike, I just have them rip off the stuff and I get it revalved, resprung for me, for Moto. <laughs> and I come out swinging with a brand new, fresh, freshly valved, ready to go for Moto suspension. I don't even screw with the stock stuff. But if I had stock suspension, <clears throat> I would absolutely be checking my sag and servicing it regularly. You don't even have to get any fancy valving or anything, just fresh fluids, valve shims, all that stuff seals. And, uh, regularly and just keep it fresh and then keep your bike adjusted your sag adjusted right in the realm where you like it and you'll be golden man but it's something i think that gets overlooked too is just the servicing of the suspension it's easy to blow it off and not notice because it gets a little worse every time right but when you like you did and take it to the shop and go back out you're like oh wow <laughs> yeah it's so much different now and even if you don't want to do it yourself or don't want to do that, um, there's a great, there's always great uh, suspension guys. There's one near me, yep. Joe Craft at Witchcraft Racing, a couple of miles from my house. He nice. used to sponsor me, and and I think full pop is a uh, maybe two three hundred dollars to do it. Uh, yep. so it's, it's not that bad, anyways. Yeah, and you can pop it off and send it in if you have to. You can just send it in to your dude. You know, a lot yeah. like if it's on the other coast, great. I usually like having somebody close to me that can work with me. You know. But I'm I'm old and slow these days anyway. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> I mean, it isn't going to make much of a difference. For me, it's not about the lap time. It's about that how many laps I can get. So it's a matter of comfort. So if I'm comfortable and enjoying the bike, man, I can go all day long. If my bike setup sucks, A, it'll wear me out quick. I'm old and out of shape. <clears throat> but generally, it just wears on me. I just don't enjoy it. And it's like, I don't ride in 100 degrees or deep mud anymore. I just don't. I'm old and I don't care anymore. I don't want to. So it's about enjoying having fun and enjoying riding my bike. And so it's that's it. If my bike's set up right and handling good, I, have, I will have, I'll come out of there just like, man, God, I got to ride more. That's so amazing. I feel so good right now. You know, it'll, otherwise I'll come out of there all pissed off and frustrated and still thinking about <clears throat> what I did wrong on my clickers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's always a constant journey. There's always more to learn and more laps to do, right? Yeah. And always worth putting in that extra little effort. Even if you change it and change it back to where you were, it's always worth going out there and looking at those things and trying to find them. I think, man, I just think it's lazy not to try to dig them up and find those things and if you get it out and you find out it's something you didn't want you just put it back you don't have to keep it you know but i'm i'm always searching i think that way like in work riding anything i'm always trying to find that other line the other little thing you know that'll get you that what you're trying to get whether it's trying to have a good day or win the race or make it 20 bucks like it's all <laughs> the same to me you gotta you gotta get all those little things if you want to be the first one to get that I get all your ducks in a row and there's just so many ducks. <laughs> yeah. These days it's insane. Like it's coming from the eighties into this stuff, man. Wow. It's just a blazing inferno of information. And the, and now like in the eighties, you just you weren't even aware of some of these really industries and professions and stuff and how intense they were. But in this age, you know, it's all out in front. You get to see it all out in front of you. And it's like, wow. Yeah, and now there's there's entire uh, positions dedicated to understanding data and traction control and and fuel yeah. mapping. Um, I never used any of those uh, uh, electronic assists when I rode. They weren't available on my 600. Yep. 
Yeah, I have a, I have a, my my husky has a uh, traction control, but I don't even know if it works. I'm a, it's real hard to tell in the dirt. Yeah. So um, I usually post it in a week or two. Um, so I have a couple in the queue normally, but I think I just posted my last one before I walked over here. So uh, maybe next week I'll get this one posted and make sure that you share it and comment and uh, tag anybody that we talked about so we can get as many eyeballs as possible as always. Yeah, I will for sure. And let, let me see, I can do, a, I can quick time record a little demo of it. Yeah, I just don't know if I have time, but but I'll try to do it. Uh, <clears throat> it'll probably be this weekend if, okay. I, if I can do it. Sure, I can always uh, wait until it's done. There's no rush. All right, yeah, I can, I can do that pretty easy. That'd probably be nice. Then you can just splice it in there, and it's uh, that way the frame is just the phone, and I could probably do it maybe where I can get slacker in the shot or something. I'll have to think about it, but it's pretty easy to record it. And uh, I think it'd be cool because that way people can see, because it's nice because you can get in and add your bike and then add setup notes and then, uh, you know, save settings directly from Slacker into the your setup notes while you're taking measurements and stuff now. I've added some new features. So, uh, <clears throat> but we, we can do that later. If, if it, uh, I mean, it may be worth waiting because I think in about six weeks, I'm going to release an entirely new version of that where, if it's a dirt bike, you'll have a dirt bike specific page. And if it's a street, you'll get street, you know, because right now, no matter what bike you have, you get the same settings, you know. So and like for a mountain bike, you don't have static sag, but there's all these empty static sag things. It's goofy. Yeah. So I'm going to clean it up. But I'll, I'll let you know by the end of the weekend, if, if I just get buried, I'll just let you know I got buried and just continue on without me. Okay, sure. <laughs> or I can always do like a, uh, a follow-up quick post video. Yep, I got gotcha. you. I, I should be able to, I may get time today and just be able to crank it out. Okay. It's just one of those things that I have my brain be thinking about that when I hit a moment yeah. of, of uh, only mild terror and, <laughs> and uh, mayhem. <laughs> hey, no worries. So is this uh, your first podcast? I did one with... Uh, this guy, Chris, uh, so you want to ride a bike? Oh, yeah. So you want to ride a motorcycle podcast? Yeah, yeah. He's awesome. I did one with him a few months ago, and I did one with uh, Agla with uh, ADV Rider Magazine. She's the senior rider with Adventure Rider. Yeah. Magazine. Yeah, she's a cool lady. She was in, uh, like, Bulgaria or something in the middle of COVID doing the <laughs> Zoom with me. Wow. <laughs> You're number three. <laughs> you're becoming a pro i guess not really i don't know i just stand here i'm sure i'm I'm ridiculous but i'm i just as long as i don't watch my face on it i'll be all right yeah you gotta watch the other person otherwise you get fixated right <laughs> yeah yeah i'm just not much i'm i'm just not much of being in front of cameras and stuff so probably the reason there's only been three is i've resisted them for a long time been oh no no <laughs> Just give me a call, man. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just simple. I'm just trying to create some original content. You know, I ran out of uh, pictures to post of me on a motorcycle. I posted them all. Yeah, well, it's, <laughs> good too, to, uh, it's good to be able to meet you in person, too, honestly, like this. there, There's something to be said for that instead of a voice on the phone. Like, it is it is nice to just actually meet you in person. And uh, I don't know why I get hung up on that stuff. I just never liked being in front of cameras. Every Every picture my mom has, I got a funny look on my face or I'm flipping the camera off or something. I just, 
not photogenic. I'm photoresistant. Right. Well, there's, um, I think there's something to be said for like a long form interview. Whereas like, if you're on the news, if you went on the news and talked about your product, you're only oh, going to yeah. get so many sentences out before they cut you off. But here, yeah. at least you get to be yourself and you can, you can only put on a, a fake facade for so long. Right. Yep. I agree. I agree, man. Yeah. That, that news stuff is just like, you got to get in and get to the point and get out, man. Or is this gives you some time to actually go off track and talk about the boat yeah losing my stuff and that leads over to this you know it lets the conversation happen more naturally and and you get in the things that are actually pertinent instead of just talking about one little sliver of that because you wouldn't have any idea of all the other stuff that's happening you know right. so no it's good and it's it's excellent i'm always happy to do this stuff too like whenever you want to do it if it helps you out i'm i'm always down to do it very good. I could definitely keep you in mind. You know, I'm thinking uh, with some of the people who I like talking to uh, maybe once a year. Yeah, for sure. Okay, yeah, very good. See, see why not get updates, product updates, any of that, or just catch up on what's been happening in the industry or the world. It's been really moving fast lately, man. So what's on your mind uh, outside of motorsports? Anything uh, particular you wanted to talk about? Oh, man, you know, I don't know. My mom just got her second COVID vaccine, so I'm pretty stoked on that. She's 81. I've been worried about her. And then uh, really right now, I'm just trying to make sure that my family and friends and everybody's okay, like financially and staying healthy and stuff. And uh, just being grateful for what I got, man. I got a lot of problems right now, but uh, man, nothing compared to a lot of other people like that have lost their lives, jobs, livelihoods and everything else over the last year it's been really brutal i mean it was uh march 14th last year when we pretty much knew we were in trouble up here and my sister had an art show that night and we decided not to go just to be safe and we had no idea what it was going to turn into you know so i guess i'm just i'm i'm hoping for better for everybody in the world for 2021 and moving forward and that people could just start being more respectful and uh, take care of each other, man. We got to look out for each other. There's just a lot of bad shit happening these days. And I, I just think that, you know, we may have differences politically and stuff, but we're all Americans. And we, if we like riding motorcycles, we got way more in common than we don't. And so we need to put some of that stuff to the side and just be good to each other, be respectful and quit hiding behind the internet and, you know, taking shots at each other like, like people are doing. I just, I think we're better than that. I just think that uh, most people are nice people and it's just got turned into uh, something else because of a bunch of, you know, politicians and, and people in the media that want to, I don't know, convince you people or some, something that they aren't or whatever. So I'm just wishing for better for the world and for everybody to be a little bit more cool to each other this year, please. <laughs> now, are you still in lockdown in Oregon? Uh, I mean, not technically. I, there, there's still restrictions up here, you know? And uh, like, I agree with some of them, but it, it's just been a hard thing because I agree with trying to protect the public health, but if you tell somebody to shut their business and you don't, provide them a financial way to shut it down you, it just can't work you you know that the one side saying don't lock down don't do anything the other side saying lock it all the way down but you you gotta if you're gonna lock down you gotta give them the money and if you're not gonna lock it down you need to make sure you can protect vulnerable people like my mom we can't just let it fly you know i just think that a lot of people miss the point that wearing masks and stuff was to protect other people not themselves 
like I've never worn a mask. I haven't been that concerned about my own health, but my neighbor over here, she's like 85 year old uh, black lady. I'm concerned about her. So I don't want to spread it. So I just think a lot of that stuff got screwed up. We need to shake that off and realize that that's, it, it sucks, whatever it is, but we need to just take care of each other, I think, you know? I know that's kind of a political thing to say, but generally I think we're better people than that. And uh, that, you know, my, my friend uh, that I grew up with, his mom died of COVID. I mean, she spent six weeks on a ventilator at 83 years old, it was brutal. So there is nobody that could convince me not to worry about that stuff. So I'm just hoping people can start to, you know, realize that we're all the same and, and whether whatever you think politically or whatever YouTube channel you watch, that those people are, they're people too and they have families and stuff. And we just, if people could just be a little more respectful, I think is that that's been my issue lately. It's like, it just seems like it's so easy to dismiss everybody. And on the internet, people are real quick to get in and take a shot at you that would never do that in your face. You know, that's what, I mean, if you just have a conversation like this, people would be a lot less likely to, you know, have such big opinions and, and attack you so much. So I'm just hoping that, that people can be better this year. I don't I know think, if that'll happen or not. And I think that's a good message for the world. Yeah, I just hope people be better to each other. I just think I've seen a lot of people fighting over a lot of dumb stuff. And uh, so, I mean, that's really all I, otherwise my focus is 100% on that damn boat. <laughs> <laughs> go to Japan and trying to get dug out from this absolute disaster. 2020, I did good, actually. I felt really fortunate because, like, so many people got screwed last year. And I, right at the end of the deal, I went down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But at least I didn't get sick or anything. And I'm still, I'm still fighting, at least for, for another day, you know? That's good. And uh, where are you out there on social media? You, I know you're on Instagram. Uh, yeah, on Instagram, we're just at uh, Motul Inc. And then uh, same with Twitter, Motul Inc. And then uh, Facebook is Motul.co. And uh, I'm on all those channels. Twitter is probably the least loved. I just don't, uh, I tend to treat it as a news thing. And with one product and a small company, you don't tend to have a lot of news. Yeah. But, but I do my best. And uh, I'm, I'm much better on the Facebook and uh, Instagram stuff. So anybody's out there too and has questions about bike setup or any of that i like i personally respond to all those posts and uh so if you had a question about the product or bike setup or any of that just uh i'm the dude behind the post so you know that uh if you're asking questions it, it's me and not not just some guy in the back of the shop and are you on uh, youtube at all uh yeah we've got a uh we're just on the uh we're just on uh under motul on youtube m-o-t-o-o-l and I've got, a, I need to put some new content up, but we do have some good videos up there from uh, Dave Moss. I've got some new footage that I did with him uh, that I still need to produce and get up there. So some of that stuff's kind of old, but he's got a lot of good bike setup tips and stuff up there. And then I just random like user guides for Slacker and motocross stuff and kind of, you can go back all the way for till 2013, I think, and see all the old original, even super crappy videos <laughs> all right well I'll tell everybody to check that out and uh, watch out for those new videos that you still have coming yep yeah for sure I should be yeah. hopefully this summer I'll have time to get back into the, some of that creative stuff and the fire will be out <laughs> and I wanted to ask about um, you have motul.co not.com how did that come about 
Oh, you know, it's funny. Uh, the guys that have that domain, it's Missouri Tool. Okay. So MO for Missouri and then Tool. So they got motool.com before I could get it. Ah. Uh. <laughs> kind of bummed me out, but it's not a big deal these days. There's so many different ones. But then same with Instagram. That one is even funnier. I wanted to get motool on there. And uh, it's Megan O'Toole. <laughs> <laughs> what are the odds? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, damn it. But well, it is what it is. Those are little things that like bug you but in the big picture it's you know it's just like having an odd colored uh, nut on something on your bike that nobody else would notice you know oh yeah you know i tried to get esr.com but that was taken by i think some japanese big uh conglomerate so i don't think i'll be able to buy that one. Oh yeah no that would probably be difficult <laughs> i think it sounds expensive yeah it, it does it probably does but you probably get a lot of traffic right off the bat yeah <laughs> So, uh, not, not people that you'd want but right yeah get all the japanese guys exactly a bunch of guys looking for whatever pride there what is this <laughs> who the hell is eric swan right <laughs> i'm on the map yeah no doubt that's good man no and I'm, I'm i'm glad to see you starting up this business man i i see so many people just trying to especially motocross guys that get really focused in and they don't make another plan at all. And they'll, they, they cut out of school early, you know, they start racing at six and man, it's, uh, it's brutal. And, and when you get out of there, if you don't have some skills to do something like you're doing, it's brutal. Like to go to work for a shop at nine bucks an hour, or 12 bucks an hour, man. No, thank you. Reality real fast right there when you just struggling to just to pay rent, you know? So I think it's good and it, it's a lot of work, but you seem like you're up for it. Oh yeah, I'm definitely up for it. Um, let's wrap this up a little bit. Um, thank you awesome. so much for coming on here. And like I said, I'll get this posted real quick and uh, we'll go from there. Cool, sounds good, awesome. Well, thanks, Eric. All right, thanks so much, John. Have a great day. Yeah, you too, thanks, man. All right, bye-bye. So I just wanted to give you a quick uh, overview of our service assistant app. This is a useful tool. Uh, just to keep uh, track of all your bikes and all your settings for your suspension setup. So uh, whenever you start out in the app, you're just going to upper right. You can hit that uh, add bike icon. Uh, in the main list here, you're able to filter by dirt, street, adventure, or mountain bike. So let's just pick a street bike. Uh, we're going to act like we have some money today. And we'll pick this Panagale. So we'll just, uh, you can name it pretty much whatever you want, whatever's whatever's uh, relevant to you. So I'll just do this. So once you save the bike, it's gonna show up as the newest in the list at the top. You can just click it to select it. And then at this point, you're not gonna have a lot of information. You're gonna get some generic SAG settings. Uh, these are real generic. They're just uh, based off of industry standards, not the actual manufacturer's recommendations. So always be sure to check your uh, user manual or uh, check with whoever uh, tunes your suspension. So whenever you want to add a new note, just hit new note and then say we have just taken some measurements and we want to record them and this is where we're at. And we can put in any, any of our clickers and uh, there's actually going to be some additions to these uh, coming here in the next release of this app. Some more info where you can put in your tire pressure and brand and uh, track temperature and some other cool stuff. But 
for now we'll just put in a couple and we'll just say we were at uh, button willow and that'll work and then we're going to just go ahead and add that so then we've got our note <clears throat> you can see that we get some basic settings up front are some clickers and stuff and if we go in then we can go in here we can edit the track name uh, we can actually copy this note to another note say under another bike or under this bike just so we could uh, save these baseline settings so that's really the whole overview also if you actually if you have a slacker uh, there is one more function and that is that we can actually uh, you can actually use this as a, a virtual remote for your uh, slacker digital suspension tuner so in the top left here you'll see that we've got this icon with the remote so if you go in here this is going to bring up the virtual remote I'm going to turn slacker on and then it should connect right up and start taking readings so you can see there that the slacker is connected and working right now and uh, so everything should be good right here so we're just going to go ahead and uh, we're going to save some settings this is kind of a cool feature is you can actually save settings uh, right into where i was just showing you that you could uh, manually enter them so if we go in and we select that new bike there's that note button willow you can see now we've got the 1299 panty uh, we're at button willow and then you can see those numbers that i typed in manually at the bottom here so if we say we're going to take some measurements and we take a, a, you know, a static measurement up in the front and we end up at 8, all we have to do is click that button and you can see that that value updates. So now let's take a measurement on the fork itself and we'll record that. Then let's say we take another measurement in the rear and we end up at 10 and just say we end up at 30 here. So there's all the measurements that, that we've just taken and when we get back out of this portion of the app and we go back in here then you'll see that these numbers have all updated with these values with the 8 and 35 and 10 and 30. so if you do have slacker that's a great uh, thing to have also but you don't have to have slacker for it to be a valuable tool uh, you can keep all your bikes in here it's unlimited bikes unlimited uh, notes you just have to put in your email uh, and have a user account but that's just to secure your data we don't actually uh, share data or information or anything else we would only use it to contact you for app updates or uh, things of that nature so that's pretty much it man that's the service assistant app i'm actually building out a new version of it that should release this summer that's going to have actually a lot more information on each of those uh Different pages with the recommended settings will now be specific to dirt bikes or street bikes or adventure bikes or mountain bikes. So uh, you'll have a lot more tailored experience that's more tailored towards uh, your, your type of riding and your type of bike. So if anybody has questions, guys, uh, feel free to hit me up. You can always uh, visit the website and just email me off of that. Uh, the website is motool.co. So it's M-O-T-O-O-L.co. Or you could always email me. My email is johnny, J-O-H-N-Y, at motool.co, M-O-T-O-O-L dot C-O. And that's uh, johnny at motool.co, just one N in the johnny. So feel free to hit me up, guys, and uh, let me know if you have any questions. Thanks.